Okay, so a couple of weeks ago I spoke on Mark 9 and this, uh, this passage uh, reflects Mark 9 quite a lot. Uh, I, I started the, the, um, the sermon asking um, that typical qu- interview question, what's your greatest achievement? Uh, and this week I'm going to open on a similar kind of question um, that you might get in an interview. Um, what do you bring to the table? Now, at the time I said I enjoy interviews, um, and I said that I, I thought it was quite a fun kind of battle of wills. I saw it, uh, you know, as, as something that I, I kind of enjoy kind of in, you know, engaging with an interviewer and trying to uh, very, you know, subtly show off. Uh, but actually, these two questions, those two questions, the one which says, what is your greatest achievement and uh, what do you bring to the table? Um, I don't actually like those questions. Those two questions are particularly horrible questions. Um, and maybe it's uh, the um, maybe it's the British person in me or maybe it's the um, the Christian in me. Um, but, um, yeah, those two questions are very much uh, questions where um, outright boasting, it, the, those are questions where you're outright you know, asked to boast and show off. And, and the, in those, uh, those situations, I don't particularly like those kind of questions. Um, sorry, I'm just admitting some more people into the... Um, so people, yeah, just... Um, so um, let me just get this back up. Right. So um, the question, the and and you know, just showing off like that is is I feel I, it makes me feel a little bit crass. Um, so for those who have just joined, um, I was ta- I'm talking about the interview question. What do you bring to the table? It's it's not a, a great question because it asks you straight away to show off, um, and that's not an easy thing. I think for especially uh, with us as Christians, where we're taught not to have pride, um, but it is a question that could be asked in any kind of interview or actually joining any team. It might be a question uh, that could be asked um, if you were kind of starting a relationship or any, even in a friendship, what do you kind of bring to the table? Uh, maybe that'd be a harsh thing to, to ask uh, in a relationship or a team, uh, sorry, in a friendship. But um, in, in some ways, it's a good question to keep asking yourself and certainly one that keeps us on our toes. Now, the reason I ask this question is because, as I said, the uh, passage I spoke on two weeks ago in Mark 9 definitely reflects very much uh, what we see in this, this passage today. Um, and we, when, we're, when I was taught to handle the Bible, um, one of the first things I was taught was how essential uh, context is. Um, as my old pastor used to say uh, repeatedly, if you take the text out of the uh, out of context, then you're just left with a con. Uh, and I love that that little statement. If we take the text out of context, then all we're left with is a con. 
Anyway, let's read the passage and come back to the context. So we've got the passage here. So can everyone see the passage? Okay, I'll try and scroll through the passage as I'm reading. Okay. So Mark chapter 10, verse 32 to 52. And they were on the road going to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And talk, taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was happening to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, what, uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he asked them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to, to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will baptize, uh, be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grasp, grant. So, uh, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard this, they become, uh, became ignorant, uh, ignorant, indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those, are, that those who are considered the rulers of Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be a servant, your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came, uh, came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, uh, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the, Tom, uh, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. And he began to cry out and saying, say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many of them rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, "What do you want to do for? Uh, what do you want me to do for you?" And the blind man said to him, "Rabbi, let me recover my sight." And Jesus, Jesus said to him, "Go on your uh, go your way. Your faith has made you well." And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on his way on the way. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you that uh, you are continuing to keep us safe. We pray for those who are struggling, those who are ill, uh, those who are feeling alone. Lord, we pray that we can, as a family, just be a family so that we can be there for one another, that we can uh, love you and love one another as you have loved us. Lord, we pray that uh, you continue to teach us from your word and that as your word uh, fills us now, uh, that we uh, start to live changed lives in your glory. Amen. Right. Um, well, let's let's try sharing this again so that we have the, the passage in front of us as we're doing this. Um, So the passage opens with a familiar scene of Jesus. Oops, I've gone too far. Um, Jesus telling them that he will be killed and he will rise. Then we get James and John asking to be seated at uh, his right hand and his left hand. Obviously the most important positions in heaven. Um, it's almost identical to the passage I spoke on two weeks ago. Um, we seem to be having some problems here. I'm getting some echo. Okay. Um, yeah, so it seems to be almost identical to the passage I looked at two, uh, two weeks ago, um, where uh, Jesus shares with his disciples about how he's going to be killed. And if I just flick back to chapter 9, so have a look back at chapter 9 of what I looked at last time. Um, here we see Jesus for, for, uh, foretells his death. Um, he, oh, sorry, Jesus foretells his death and resurrection here. And then the, he catches the disciples arguing who is the greatest. And we can almost laugh that they seemed not to have learnt. Now we see a very similar scene, in fact the same same scene in uh, Matthew chapter um, Matthew chapter 20 um, and um, but in that situation now that the, the, the people who uh, will talk about contradictions of the Bible will jump on that at the, this moment and shout about how in Matthew, um, it's not James and John who ask the question, but his, his, uh, their mother. Uh, but in some ways, I don't think this so much is a worry because uh, Jesus' response in Matthew is the same as Jesus' response in Mark. He looks directly at, he addresses directly to James and John, and he rebukes them in Matthew as, as, as he does in, uh, in Mark. Um, and we can certainly understand that either James and John put their mother up to it, or they certainly are of the same mind as their mother. And it could be that, you know, even that their mother asks at a different time from James and John themselves. Um, but it's the same. And you can see from the reaction of the disciples the other disciples know what's up, 
and they are indignant at this. They are, they're not happy, they're angry, uh, they're very indignant. But as much as we, we think, you know, they probably don't have um, uh, a right to be, we see the same in ourselves, don't we? Um, I, I mean, as a teacher, I see this all the time. I see somebody asks a cocky or a rude or a, a silly question, and when I answer it and I, you know, I kind of put, you know, put them in place and I correct them, I get somebody else immediately, one or two other people immediately shout out and, and tell them off and, and joke, you know, uh, jokingly say how silly they are. But you can tell that straight away that they would be, they, you know that they are itching to be the same, you know, ask the same kind of question. You can just tell that they were ask, wanting to ask the same question. And you can see the same indignant attitude from his, his disciples. And we have to, again, we have to thank God that we have the disciples' examples, the, the, the writings of the disciples were, you know, make them so human. They make them very relatable. This is us. We forget. We misinterpret uh, our lives as Christians. We want to be, uh, be great either here or in heaven. We forget that really we should be living for heaven. Now, when, when I was taught uh, about putting things in context, when we compare chapter 9 and chapter 10, we also, well, firstly, we look for what's the same, but then we, uh, more important is what's different. Now, do you see what's different between chapter 9 and chapter 10? Instead of arguing who's going to be the greatest here on earth, James and John have now made progress. See, they don't seem to care anymore now who is the greatest on earth. They want to be the greatest in heaven. So what is exciting is, and, and Jesus would be inwardly smiling a little bit about this, is because they have made progress. They've realized that it's not about what's on earth now. They've realized that um, there is a heavenly afterlife. And that there is a heavenly eternity and um, that what is more important is that rather than what's here on earth. And so that is a great difference. Um, and I think if we were to criticize James and John, we have to certainly look within ourselves and realize how easy it is to get caught up with the stresses and glamours of riches on earth or perhaps more relevant to this situation, our health and our safety in this life, and forget about the sure promise of eternity and uh, perfect peace when we get to heaven. Now, um, what is it that they get wrong? Now, it's it's good that they've they've thought about uh, they've thought about heaven. But what is it that they've got wrong? And, and this goes back to my original question. What is it that they have to offer? What do they bring to the table? Or the question that Billy and I have been asking all the way through our study of the book of John, sorry, study of the book of Romans, um, 
What is it that saves them? What is it that saves us? Well, as Christians, we know that it's nothing that we do. Nothing but the mercy and grace that is the free gift of God. So when they say, can we be the greatest in heaven? They are misunderstanding that it's nothing that they've done that gets them into heaven. Nothing that they bring will place them in that top place. And so asking for that is not their place. See, um, well, let's have a look down at what happens next and see how this ties into what James and John are asking. If we look down, so we're in chapter 10 again. Oh, I've gone too far. We see what might be very overlooked as just a normal healing. And it's almost too normal, this healing of this blind Bartimaeus. It's like, it seems like it's, it's uh, the same as every other healing that we see in the Gospels. And we've been so familiar with this that we don't see what's so important. And it's the context that is so important. So what we have to do is we have to compare this healing of blind Bartimaeus with the unnamed rich young man. And it's, it's somewhat telling that this, um, this blind man is named and the rich young man is not named. Okay, because Bartimaeus is important. And sandwiched in between those two miracles are, um, is a miracle, um, uh, sorry, is teach, uh, Jesus' teaching. So I'm just trying to um, admit somebody into the, the sermon. Okay, so I can't seem to do it. Um, so sandwiched in between these two miracles is Jesus' teaching. And we, we see that Jesus is saying it's not their place to be asking this question. So let's contrast the dis dis difference. How does the rich young man come to Jesus? Jesus can see straight into his heart. The, ri the, the rich young man is obviously earnest. He's very sincere. And Jesus looks at him and he loves him. But he also sees the pride in the man's heart. When Jesus asks him whether he has obeyed the commands, the man says, all these I have kept from use. He comes thinking that he's already good enough. And we see that in Jesus' initial retort. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, to look at today's passage, uh, let's, let's look at today's passage. What does Bartimaeus do? He hears Jesus coming and he cries out for help. Now, in first century Israel, a blind man was useless to society. So not only would he be a burden to his family, uh, he would be left to beg. Bartimaeus has nothing. There's nothing that he can offer to Jesus. And he realizes that Jesus can heal him and that Jesus can save him. And unlike the rich man, unlike James and John, unlike us much of the time, he recognizes that he brings nothing to the table. 
And this is why Jesus says that it's impossible for the rich man to get to heaven. Do you notice the way he says that? It's impossible for the rich man to get himself to heaven. It's impossible for the rich man to get to heaven. In the, um, in the disciples' eyes, if the rich man can't get to heaven, who can? And that's exactly right. If the rich man can't get himself to heaven, then who can? If this, this man who has obeyed all of the commandments, well, not all of them, uh, but certainly the ones relating to love your neighbour, the second half of the, the Ten Commandments. If he can't get himself to heaven, then who can? And Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And it brings to mind the great song, I mean, it's, it's very, very old school. As soon as you put this on, um, people think of uh, Christians from ages past. It's it, the Rock of Ages. And I, I, th I think some of you know which line I'm talking about. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. At times, all we can do as time and time again we fall foul of pride and sin and fail again and again. All we can do is cling to the realisation that Jesus has already forgiven us all our sins and accepts us for who we are. He chose us knowing that we are sinful. He pulled us out from the depths. And so with this in mind... Uh, with humility, he calls us to be servants. And with this in mind, we, we, uh, we should, the only course of action really is to give our lives to Jesus. As Romans 12 says, our lives should be living sacrifices. This is our spiritual act of worship. And so Jesus says here in, in verse 42 to 45, uh, let's highlight this, 42 foot to 45. And Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be servant. Uh, must be yours among you must be your servant and whoever who would be first among you must be slave of all for even as the even the son of uh, son of god oh, why is that on there son of man came not to be served but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many we see the contrast from the great uh, sorry from the rich young man Jesus said, give up and everything and follow me. And the rich man, young man went away sad. He left, he wasn't able to follow Jesus. To Bartimaeus, Jesus says, actually tells him to go on his way. If you look at verse 52, we see Jesus says, 
Go your way, your faith has made you well. And Bartimaeus does the opposite. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So, whilst it's a great question to keep asking ourselves when we evaluate our place in a team or with the people who are at, the question, what do I bring to the table? When it comes to our place in heaven, we have to remember that we bring nothing. And that's right. That we bring nothing to the table. When it comes to our relationship with God, we bring nothing. God has done everything. He's provided us with everything. He's created us. He's given us the gifts that we have. He's provided us with the wealth and health and security that we have. He provides us with the comfort and security we have. And the only response that we have, the only appropriate response in this, is to serve him. Let me pray as we close. Father, we help us to remember just the magnitude of what you've done. You have created us, you have given us all things, and even when we turned our back, when we uh, sinned, when we were selfish, when we went our own way, you called us, you brought us near, you showed us and you continue to show us that you are our heavenly father, you have promised us a place in heaven and that we are yours. Help us to live in our response to that, to serve you, to devote our lives as living sacrifices. In Jesus' name, amen.